0: Hey, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys, you Western dudes. Welcome. I wish that y'all had the opportunity to see me try to learn to skate ski. Just because you know, I think it would. You would think it was hilarious. Um, I went out for like an hour yesterday, and uh, so I'm like, I was determined. To, I've been determined to go up to Mordor, which is like way up, kind of high on this other side. But what I what I learned is uh, something I already knew is that if you go up, you have to come down. <laughs> and if you ever go up there, you'll have to come down. And so I'm coming down, totally out of control, trying as hard as I can to keep it. And this road's turning, or the, you know, the track's turning, and it and I just can't do it. And I do that thing where you focus, you know, right in, in front of you instead of where you want to go in the turn, and I just went straight, and you know, just straight off at hot, as fast as I, you know, I don't know how fast it's going, just total. And what was funny was that, you know, I had my glasses on, I could actually see the snow exploding in front of my glasses before it was totally dark. I, I just and nobody's around to see it. It's totally wasted. And then I was right here on the way back to my car, just right here by John Worsing's house. And there's like five people coming towards me and I'm like 20 yards to go. And I just did this amazing, like 180, degree, you know, and I can't get up. I just wish y'all were there for that. So if I ever invite you to go ski with me, you need to check it out because it's weird. It's like a giraffe, you know, on roller on skates. Worth, definitely worth seeing. Uh, so we're starting a new series today. If you have a paper Bible, we're in the Psalms. You can start flipping over there now. Psalm 1 is where we're going to be. And uh, the, the, the thing we call this uh, series is Speaking of God. Speaking of God in the Psalms. And, and the reason, well, what I want to do is, is talk with you just for a minute about why we called it, you know, Speaking of God and, and why it matters that we would spend time there. Uh, the book of Psalms is uh, like if you're in your paper Bible, like if you just—it's kind of by volume, it's right in the middle. But it's not necessarily in the middle of the Bible. It's in the Hebrew Scripture, or what we would call the Old Testament, uh, if you're familiar with those those terms. There are about 150 Psalms, and Psalm is just a transliteration of the Hebrew letters for the word song. So it sounds similar to what we say for the word Psalms. So when you see psalms, you could, we could easily just call it the book of songs. And it's like I said, it's 150 songs written by different people. But the, the thing about the, the songs is that they, uh, they're, they're poetic. and well, They're songs. They're lyrics. But they, they reveal, as you go through, a lot about us and a lot about God. But it's all in relation to God that we understand about we learn about ourselves, about who this God is. And so speaking of God is the songs, the psalms speaking of Him and us learning about who He is from these songs that have been written. And you know, there are a few things like a song to communicate a message in a concise way. The words are really thought about, carefully planned, and that's exactly what happens in the Psalms. And, it's important for us to know what the Bible says about God. And let me give you an illustration of that. Uh, I like a good salad bar. Okay? There are only like two in town. But when you go to the salad bar and you're there with another person, you know, you're putting on the things that you like on your plate. And if you're like me, you're going to get as much as you can. All mm-hmm. right? So you, you learn, if maybe women don't do this, I don't know, guys, you relate, you build like a castle, because you build these walls of like the heavy stuff, and if you don't know this, these things, then you, I'm teaching you right now. Okay. And then you put that, you, you know, you put the lettuce in, you, you build this thing up, but you're looking at the other guy over there, and they're like putting stuff on, you're like, oh, that's disgusting. So never put those little corns on, or whatever it is that you, you know. Uh, so... They're building this thing, you're building this thing, you get to the end and you, and you leave. And, and you, the, the trick is you want to be able, to, you want to have to walk really, you've done it right if you have to walk really slow back to your table. That's when you know that you've nailed the salad bar situation. So the thing the thing about what we tend to do and what we even honor in our culture is that We say we like truth. We want to know what the truth is. We do a lot of research and scientific stuff to find out what the truth is. This is the truth about calories. This is the truth about exercise. This is the truth about, you know, whatever it may be, history. Well, when it comes to God, we're like, oh, yeah, believe whatever you want. That's okay. And we can say contradicting things about who God is and say it's okay. It's one of the only places in our lives where we say, you can say two different things and it's completely all right. That strikes me as odd because if, if I'm saying uh, God, well, let me put it this way. Sometimes you get something in your salad that doesn't taste very good and it spoils a salad bar for you for a long time. All right? And that's kind of a lame ex- ex- explanation, but a lot of us have had something where we've learned an untruth about who God is and it spoils God for us because we took something in that was incorrect. That doesn't mean there aren't hard things to know about who God is. The Bible says some really hard things, but they're true things in there, and those things are the things we need to know. So what I'm suggesting as a presupposition here is that we are going to go to the Bible to find out the core truth about who God is. And we're going to drill down even further to the Psalms and learn more about what that is. So... This isn't about finding our personal truth about who God is. This is about finding out what the Bible says about who He is. And that is important to us. If I'm working on my car, it's not running, and my friend comes over and says, "Uh, you need to put milk in your gas. That's what I've read on the internet will help. (laughs) Well, if I don't know any better, I might put milk in my gas, and that's not going to be very good. Or maybe I I put, he says, well, I need to, I'm not saying you would tell me this, but... um, (laughs) if you sit on a front row, you're basically going down. Okay. Yeah. so These guys. Uh, but he might say, oh yeah, cars use oil. So probably if you put like four quarts of oil into your gas, that will help. Well, you know, they're kind of in the same plane, but that's just not true. So we're looking for the, what the Bible says because it matters about God, because if He really is who He says He is, if He really is the God of the universe, and everything depends on Him, and He's the focus of all things, we want to know who He is. We don't want to be confused about that, or just be making up our own little salad of ideas. So, we're we're looking at the Psalms to see what it says, what they say when they're speaking, when they are these authors are speaking of God. And in Psalm one, there's a what I think. The message is in this psalm is that there is deep and meaningful, life-changing and transcendent benefit in knowing God. So all the most important, deepest, soul-level things are in knowing who God is. That's the big message of Psalm 1. But part of uh, understanding this particular Psalm and all of them is we need to understand the context. We need to understand who's writing it and what that writer is trying to communicate. And at least in this case, in Psalm 1, the, Psalm, the psalmist, the writer, the, the composer of the lyric, this, this person, I think, is almost like a trusted advisor or a co- even I think even more like a coach that you trust and the coach is, uh, like, we're coming up to a crossroads in our competition, and our race, this race of life that we're living. We're coming to a crossroads, and he's running or she's running alongside and saying, believe me, you want to turn right at the fork, okay? You, believe me, I'm coming alongside you. You trust me. I'm telling you the truth. You want to turn right. You don't want to turn left. Please turn right. Please turn right. This is the, I think, as I read this, and I think as you, as you see it unfold, you'll see that, but he, the writer is, is saying it poetically. He's saying it pretty intensely. There's a, there's a sense of hyperbole to this, too. He'll say really extreme things to get us to understand, you know, like if you really want somebody to turn, you might say, Steve, go this way or you're gonna die, right? It, the thing about it is, Everything that this author says to encourage us to go one way is true. Everything that he says. However, he says it in extreme ways. So we need, to, we need to take it and we need to wrestle with it. And we need to think about how that then works out in our lives as we understand who God is because of this. Are you with me? That's my introduction for our series. And this This passage is a great one because the the points that we're going to look at, believe it or not, there are three points, and those three points are going to set us up for some understanding about what happens later in the the passages that, that we're going to study. So Psalm 1, 1 through 6, there's just six lines, basically. Okay, here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. I'm sure as I was reading that, you are thinking, those are pretty strong words. So three points as we unfold this. Disparity, influence, and motivation. Disparity, influence, and motivation. This is the, the way we're going to see this thing. As, as we hear the words of the author, encourage us to go a certain way, in his, he's gonna as he unfolds that for us, the, that's the pattern as he encourages us to take that direction. So let's talk about disparity for just a minute. One of the things that jumps right out at me personally when I read this passage is the disparity between the righteous and the wicked. Did anybody, did that like raise a little... Red flag or anything for anybody? Come on, you don't have to raise them in your head. You can raise, okay. (laughs) Okay, this next point may just be from, there he goes, okay, thank you, Alex. Okay. (laughs) Uh, This disparity is like a chasm. The way he describes it, there is the righteous over here and there is the wicked or the sinner over here. There's this chasm it's binary there's only one or the other now i'm going I just want to be completely honest with you for those of you who are tracking with me on this part uh, uh, i I really struggle with uh un, I, with this I'll just say it that way uh, calling everyone wicked who isn't following God is A really strong and hard statement. That's hard. It sets me up to judge other people. Because, okay, I'll say for me, I love to judge. So how do I reconcile what this guy is saying and what I understand about the scripture? How do I work through that? Now, those of you who are like, out there wondering is our is our pastor lost his mooring? You know, is what is he not understand righteousness and evil or good? That there's good and bad. No, no, I understand that there there is good and bad, and every single one of us in this room understands that there is right and wrong. We don't we don't I don't think we struggle with that. And what we learn from the scripture is that when we as, as people, as human beings who are all broken, as, as we s- sang in these songs and as Tyler prayed just a minute ago, we can't make ourselves right, so I know that I'm adopted by Jesus because of what he did into his family. That makes me right positionally, but I'm still broken. Correct? I mean, how many times in here have we said we're broken? It's, it's those who need a Savior, who need Jesus, who are in this room. For the most part, right? So we understand that that's the situation that we're in. So how can there be just righteous and wicked? This is, this is what I'm wrestling with, with this. Like the thing is, this passage, like it brings the wicked, the, the, the plight, the judgment, the, all the harsh and, and hard to look at things about a person who's stuck, separated from God, out in front of us, and just throws it out there, and if you really wrestle with the passage, you have to look at it, because it says, these people, this, whoever's wicked is going to be judged, it's going to be horrible. That's hard. I don't want to think about that. And, you know, I may, I may be, um, you know, art kind of follows philosophy, follows the thinking of the people, So, you know, in history, you'll see some philosophy come up, and then you'll see art that reflects that, and then that art starts to influence everything else after this. Okay? So some of you may have noticed this with me in in movies lately. Um, I'll use, uh, like, James Bond as an example. Um, You know, when when I was young, just a couple years ago, when I was a small, little young, um, the... uh, the James Bond that I grew up with was, uh, no matter what he did, it was kind of all good. He was all cool, you know, as, as awful as he was to women, he was still good. And then the bad guy was just plain bad. And there never got an explanation for why he was good, He was what he was and why the bad guy was bad. He just was bad, right? And he should be eliminated. Well, I don't know if you notice, like when the first Daniel, if you watch these, is Daniel Craig movie, when he became uh, James Bond. Well, there was this story that they unfolded about why James Bond was the way he was, why he treated women that way, why he had no problem killing people, you know, for the, the, good, the bigger good, right? Do you remember this? And then they explained why the bad guy is bad. And so it was a totally different take on the story. If you ever read the the original Books at all. You see, there's no explanation for why who's bad and who's good. That's not there. It's just bad and good. And then if you you know like, did you notice like recently like Iron Man? We're not sure if he's good or bad. Superman? We're not sure if he's good or bad. We're pretty sure Batman is bad but does good things. (laughs) Right? All these movies. We're taking this in. We're this is the product of a lot of Western thinking that we're just soaking in. And taking in, there is, there is the beauty of it is that what it does is it makes us say, you know what, there are are reasons that people are where they are, and it gives us compassion and understanding. So then what happens is we see a passage like this in the Bible, and it says there's righteous and wicked with no explanation, and that's really hard to take in. In fact, last week, if you were here, we were reading this passage where Jesus is calling Levi... And Levi throws a party for Jesus and he invites all of his sinner friends and the tax collectors, all of the worst. And Jesus says, hey, everybody, this is the son of God, says, I came for these people. I'm eating with them. I'm identifying with them. I'm friends with them because I came for people who are broken, not for people who are perfect. I came for the sinners. I came for the wicked, not for the righteous. So all of that piled in makes this complicated. And if we want to interact well with our culture, And with our own hearts, we can't just cover that stuff up. We've got to really wrestle with it. What does this mean here? The Bible is not all um, disjointed. It all holds together. And hopefully I can make uh, sense out of that for for you. Um, So if there's righteous and wicked, and we're supposed to avoid the wicked if we're righteous, and we're supposed to just dig into the, the law of God, but Jesus came for the wicked and spends time with the wicked and engages with them, how do we work this out? The truth is that there are righteous and wicked. There is good and there is bad. There is evil in our world and there is good. But here's the thing that gives me great comfort that we see through throughout the whole scripture. And I think it's important for us to put in, like is one of the keys to help us understand what the psalmist is saying as we go through this. Disparity between these two kinds of people, if you will, does not mean a a difference in value to the God of the universe for either. This is really important. When when Jesus came and sacrificed himself, he didn't do it for the righteous, he did it for the broken. He did it for the ones who were self-destructive sinners, which is the same thing, rejecters of God. So it doesn't matter if you're righteous, if you know Christ or whatever, if you are a wicked person, if you've never come to that, whatever, wherever you are in understanding your relationship with God, we all have the same value to God. And the value was extremely high, the Son of God for us. That's a big part of understanding how we can deal with this righteous and wicked. We cannot judge, and we can't disqualify ourselves because we're messed up, because we have the same value in the eyes of God. So the disparity, that's the thing that, that I'm just sharing with you. I wrestle with, but I think there's a good answer in the Scripture for... Um, I want to listen to this coach when he talks about that disparity because I'm redeemed... Because I know Jesus and he's saying, okay, we're trying to follow Christ, so let's turn this way. You know, I just picture this guy running along beside me, you know, or maybe even faster than me and saying, come on, turn this way. Okay, so disparity. So the second thing is influence. Um, I think this is, the idea of influence is at the heart of the application of the passage and how we understand what are we supposed to do with this? Like when we're thinking, how, how does this play out in my life? Where do I go with this thing? He's directing us away from influence, influences that take us away from Jesus or away from God, all right? Look at, uh, let's just read one and two one more time. Blessed or happy, this is the actual translation, is the man who walks or woman who walks I like how he, he uses the metaphor. He walks not in the counsel of the wicked nor stands in the way of the sinner nor sits, you know, does everything with this group. But his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord. And in, the law, in that law and on that law, he meditates day and night. Walking and standing and sitting with that group, if you will, those, in, so we'll call it influencers. We all have influencers, Right? When, we're, when we are in that place where we're being influenced, then that's the place that is, when we're being influenced to move away from God, that's where we're in a dangerous spot. Otherwise, we are to interact with this world just like Jesus, right? And we, I think all of us know where that, that sort of line is. Uh, uh, Spurgeon said something like this. This is a, a rough quote from him. He's a, a, a preacher, he said, a half-committed believer, a Christian, is miserable. There are enough in the world to be miserable around God and enough into God to be miserable in the world. You know, they got a foot in both places. And we all know what that. I mean, if you're trying to follow God, you know, you know exactly what that is. Um, I have a friend who is a uh, lifty, and she was here a couple years ago. Came to stay with us recently, and, and she was sharing with us. She said, you know, when I was living here, I really wanted to make, to listen to that coach and follow, basically follow Jesus And then Friday would come, and the wheels would come off, and I'd make decisions that were just terrible. And she said she hated it. So she finally said, the only way I can change this is if I leave and surround myself with people who can help me make good decisions, help me, influence me towards who Jesus is. Right? Well, so she came back, you know, it's been a couple years, and she said, I feel so much better. I can be with those people now, and I'm not influenced. She wasn't the confused person anymore. She knew where she stood before she was in that place. So if you're wrestling with that application of what is he trying to say, how we're supposed to move through this, part of it is to find the place where the right influences are, the influences that lead us to or away from God. Um, So this idea of influence leads then, he says, uh, you're happy if you are... uh, uh, if you, he says, his delight or her delight is in the law of the Lord. So uh, two things there. What, what is the law? So if I go up to a friend who I know doesn't have much, my maybe biblical or church history, and I say, you know, if you really want to know God, you need to delight in the, Lord, in the law. No, that is not going to go very far. Uh, When, he said, when, when the author says delight in the law, we'll talk about the law just for a second. The law, primarily, when, he, when this was heard by the Jewish people who were first reading this, what, they were, what it was being said was you need to delight in the rules that God has given, literally the law. So remember the Ten Commandments? Familiar with that? That would be law. There's a whole bunch of rules like that in the Old Testament. Just tons, like books full of them. Right, right before the Ten Commandments is this thing that Jesus quotes... And he says, "He says, you know what supersedes all of the laws you ever read? You shall love Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength and your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you do those things, all the laws that you ever have read in the scripture, in the Bible, are going to be. It's going to be easy for you, right? So when he, when it says, his delight is in the law, it doesn't mean." that I've got to become some expert on the laws that the Jews had to follow, right? What it means is I become an expert on the things or dig myself deeply into the things that tell me about who God is, that accurately say who He is. That's the story of really the whole Scripture. And I'll add this on. Uh, the Psalms and other places in the Bible say that the creation declares the glory of God and points to His perfect perfection, Right? When we, sometimes when you look at some of these things, like when you, you look out and the clouds are not there and you see the stars, you're like, and the Milky Way's going over. You're like, oh, you know, you just go, this is incredible. Anything that is pointing to God that is declaring his, his glory is a good thing to look at to remind us of who he is. It starts with the law, the specific words of the scripture that tell us who he is. There are specific things about God. It's not like, well, he might be a star. He might be in the stars or anything like that. We learn from the scripture that he created those things and those things point to him. So this is the, the law. It's all things in the scripture and all things that he've created. he has created that point to him. And we're gonna see that in the songs of these writers. So that's the law. What is delight? So that's not a word I use a whole lot. I'm so delighted. Okay, it just isn't. Maybe you use that word all the time, okay. But what's cool about this word is that um, it does mean happiness, you know, just like the first word of, the, of Psalm 1, happy is the man, he delights. This is a positive, very emotive, very good thing. He's feeling She's feeling good about what's happening. But delight also means desire or thirst. So it says his, the thing that makes this person happy, that brings deep, resounding Spiritual joy, happiness, is to, to know the word, the law, what's written and what's revealed about who God is. That that person uh, seeks after those those things and they're fulfilling. So there's delight is both uh, feeling and an, an a sense of uh, well, I guess they're both feelings, aren't they? There's a there's a, a feeling that is, is happiness because there's a desire for the good things of the word, of the truth of who God is. I, I, I think I told you all this a while back, um, but uh, when my kids were younger, it was probably 10 years ago, we're all going somewhere in the car, and uh, I'm not sure if like Sarah was in a car seat or, or not, but it was a pretty long time ago. And uh, so um, the radio's on, I think i on some classic radio station. And so this ACDC song comes on, and, uh, and I knew every single word of the song. Yeah. Which, in some ways, is cool. It was funny. I was thinking about this and sharing this with y'all. I was like, okay, was it an ACDC song? Was it a Led Zeppelin song? I couldn't remember. But they were both about really inappropriate things. I just knew the theme of the song. Okay, and, but then I remembered, yeah, it was ACDC. So I'm singing this song out loud with my kids in the back. I'm like, they, you know, they're too little. They won't know what it is. And, uh, and I realized I probably know by heart more words from ACDC and you name it, whoever it is for you, than really literally know the Bible. Like can say the words in order where they go. And so I was kind of, internally I was like, this is a turning point for me. So I started to spend time really trying to not really try. I was learning refocusing on the need to learn the scripture. And man, it's when you're over I don't know what age, but not uh like I said I'm pretty young, but um even in my in my young age it's really hard to memorize stuff. I work really hard on that and it doesn't and it's hard and I'll be like, "Oh, I I memorized that like a year ago. I memorized that psalm a year ago. But whether I can regurgitate it accurately or not is not so much the point as I need to put it in my heart. I need to dig in there. Uh, so I, I guess I would ask you that question. Do you know a lot of lyrics from songs that are really not helpful to you? Uh, more than you really know the Scripture. And if that's true, there may be something disconnected there when I think about that. Um, So, disparity, influence. We want to be influenced by the right things. And and we can be in the midst of a lot of trouble and people that are really struggling and and whatever that looks like and be with them in that struggle. But at the same time, uh, we have to be sure that our influences are the ones that lead us towards who the one true God is. Okay, motivation. So, uh, this I, I love the way uh, he he creates this this metaphor that we can lock into so well to motivate us to turn right, if you will. Okay, and, and this is how he says it. He, he he says, "There's the tree, and there's the chaff. Which one?" In verse three, this person who delights in the law of the Lord and who God is. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in season. Its leaf does not wither. All that he does prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Which one do you want to be? If, it's, if it is, in fact, in any way up to you, which one are you going to choose? Do I want it? you know, the image is beautiful, you know? If you think of looking down, you know, into the valley over here, and you see this beautiful tree or these trees, and they're by the river, and it's just, you know, or... You know, the chaff, if you've ever seen that, it's just the, the little husk that gets broken off of the top of a grain of wheat and just blows away. No anchor, gone, just blown by whatever happens. Now, that's a great image, especially for men, maybe for women as well, but to, to think of yourself as anchored like that, deeply rooted by a, a, the river that is, really I think this relationship with God is, is a powerful image to me. I definitely want to choose that way when my coach says, you should, you should choose this way. <laughs> amen. <laughs> it's funny. I, the church I came from had a lot of white people in it too. And a few, a few uh, it was, there was some racial diversity there because we were in North Dallas. But when you'd have like, you'd have some people come in that were like more African-American set would be there and they'd be like, amen. And then they'd be after you like that. It was like, it was a shocking sort of a thing. Um <laughs> But it's fun. It really gets you going. Um, he says, and then he says a few things as he unfolds this that, are, that we really need to take in and understand. And just briefly, he says, in all that he does, he prospers. Well, that has to be, in some sense, hyperbole. You, in everything we do, if we're followers of God, we don't prosper. Okay? There has to be a truth that is, that is woven into this so we can understand it. And I think it's just right before that. He says, um, "He says there are seasons that the the tree yields its fruit in season. Okay, the tree isn't yielding its fruit all year long, but there there is a time that that happens. But there is a time that is the leaves falling, the leaves the the uh, the winter is coming. Right? What he's saying is that this tree is healthy." This tree is healthy and it produces fruit, but it will, it will weather difficult times. So we have to put all that together to understand. It's not some kind of like, I can manipulate, manipulate God if I get into the word and do all these things right. That's not how this works. We're made right by the blood of Jesus who, who covers us and makes us, adopts us into his family, not because we know the word really well. That doesn't make us right. So in all he does, he prospers. doesn't mean we can manipulate God into doing whatever we want him to do. Uh, in fact, for people who know, and I'll say it this way, for people who know Jesus, when the, when the drought comes, it drives our roots more deeply into him and into his word. When the hard, hard times come, season after season, that's, we're driven more deeply into who he is instead of blown away, instead of knocked off our feet. So there is drought, there, is, there are hard times when we follow, when we learn the law, when we, even when we delight in it, there will be seasons. Did, I don't know if any of you read the book Unbroken. You might have seen the movie, you know, it's about the runner who goes and survives all this torture. Well, uh, one of the guys that was being tortured in this group of men who were trying to survive in Japan... He had this amazing knowledge of the Bible. He had memorized tons of it. And so he, over the course of time, they found uh, these little teeny scraps of paper and he would write out the, the Bible in little, teeny letters. And it was a huge encouragement to these guys. That's what they shared amongst themselves to encourage them. It's because he had memorized all that stuff that when they went through the drought... When they went through the hardest times you can possibly imagine, they had something to sink their roots into and to hold on to. So the roots that we put down in the law and the delight that we find in God and knowing Him and knowing who He is, that, that effort, that, those roots don't return void. They bring good things to us. There is deep meaning and purpose and transformative uh, life change in knowing God and knowing His law, His word, who He is. A uh, couple last thoughts here. So that's the motivation. You want to be the tree, not the chaff. But the, the conclusion of this passage is super hard. Can't just skim over this. Five and six. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Now, when I read that, it sounds to me like old timey preacher church speak. I don't know if any of you can relate to that, but it sounds like, and the way of the wicked is this, right? And we've all seen it. We've probably, unfortunately, seen it on one of those 35 channels on on cable, unfortunately, even today. um, Somehow, that almost makes it sound like this is some kind of celebration that, oh, we're righteous if we know Jesus, and they're all messed up if they don't. This is a tragedy. This is a tragedy that there, are the, there will be a judgment coming. There is, we right and wrong, and we all get it. We all understand when someone does something that's a horrible offense to another person, there has to be punishment. We don't struggle with that, but we do struggle with it when it comes to God. No, he can't do that. We have to get, we have to get that, but we, we will choose against God. There will be a resulting consequence from that. And it's going to be heavy. And that's what the Bible's saying. This is one of those hard truths. Not so that we can judge other people or remove ourselves from them, but so that we can say, oh my gosh, I must have compassion. Not only on people who are believers, but people who aren't. I have to have that compassion. It's not a celebration. Um, It's something that's inevitable and terrible and hard, but it's true. Everything that this guy says is true. Some of it's just really hard. I'll, I'll wrap up by telling you this. I, I don't know if any of y'all uh, get open open snow to on your phone to, to see what's coming. I, I really trust Joel Gratz, <laughs> that guy who writes that stuff. I'm like, Joel, you know, I, if you say three to seven, I'm getting the snowblower ready. I'm putting gas in there. So when that email comes, uh, you know, I'll read through it real quick and kind of plan my week. And one of the things they had on there last week was they had a, a video of a uh, avalanche that they uh, set off in Telluride. You might see that? Okay, yeah, you guys are Joel Gratz guys. Okay, and you know, at first they're like, oh my gosh, you know, when they're watching it, and you can't, because it's a little tiny YouTube video, you can't really see what's happening, but they can hear it, and they can see it, and then it gets bigger bigger. Go look it up if you haven't seen it. It's on Vimeo, I think. Bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And pretty soon, it just takes that whole Bridal Veil Valley out. Just just unbelievable. And Claire and I watched that and I went, like, the power of that is unreal. And then I thought, what about all the little animals? (laughs) What about all the... Yeah, all those, you know, little animals got crushed in there. They didn't, you know... And all that, that landscape has probably been changed, the trees that have been knocked down, things that have been just totally changed because of that massive. But we all understand that had to be done. They had to do that. They didn't do it because they just wanted to. It was going to come down, and they wanted to know, they wanted to be able to plant it when it was safe for human beings. So they set off the avalanche, the avalanche that was going to come. We get that. But we struggle with it when God says there's going to be an avalanche and it's going to be destructive and it's going to be because of this. This is going to happen. So just just know. These are the consequences of just what happens in our world. Right? It's funny how we we make this salad of God. We say, all right, well, I'll take the things I like. He's loving and he wants all the best for me no matter what. Even, you know, he wants my team to win and all that stuff. But I (laughs) but I can't let him be can't let him manage right and wrong and the consequences of that. We have to let both of those things happen. And they're both, they both reflect a good and loving God because a loving God allows things to happen that are the result of, just like with parenting, we, we have to let the consequences happen. And that hap- this avalanche is just a great example of that. It's going to happen. There will be suffering because of it. You guys that are gonna lead us, to, we're gonna sing one last song to close. So if y'all want to come on up, um, so the coach is saying, I've given you a way to which God's given us a way to withstand the seasons. Turn this way, choose the tree. But even more than that, I would just encourage you, wherever you are, uh, if you haven't crossed that line of faith and said, "All right, I, I just." The only way that I can be in this right relationship with God and, and try to follow him with this is to in my life is to be adopted into his family by faith that's just that's it I can't fix it i can't do it right I can't be good enough um, I'll leave it with that you guys.